Hey there, and welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name's Hank. I'm the digital pastor here at the Foundry Church. And before we get started, I wanted to take a quick second and just say thank you for tuning in to our podcast this week. We just want to let you know this, that no matter where you are, whether you're in our church community and attend regularly here in Central Florida, maybe you're checking us out for the first time, thinking about maybe coming and attending, or maybe you're somewhere else entirely in the world. No matter where it is that you're listening in from, we're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you're not a part of our community regularly, then here's what we believe. We believe in a better you and a better world. We believe all that happens through Jesus. and We love the journey that he has you on. We love your questions and we love your stories. So we would love to get a chance to get to know you better as a result of being a part of our podcast family. We've got an awesome series going on right now called I Spy. This is a series that's a little bit different for us where we get a chance to co-teach with some of our other staff members and volunteers and pastors that you don't get to hear from quite as much. Uh, We're going to be looking at some pictures and videos and stories from their everyday life and looking for the truth that God has for us in those moments. It's going to be very practical, very real, and very exciting as we explore some of these concepts and topics together. We can't wait to bring you along with us on this awesome series and this awesome journey. So we're going to go ahead and hand it off to our preaching team now. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you guys? Good, 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 good. Uh, My name is Seth. This is The Foundry, where we are all about a better you and a better world. And I'm so very glad you're here. Um, I want to give a big shout out to Mr. Hank Taylor for doing a great job last week preaching on grace and, yeah, and how it's not something we earn, but it's a gift, and so it's this incredible gift. Uh, So by him preaching, my family and I were able to take a little family trip. It's not a vacation when you take kids. It's a family trip. So we took our summer family trip. We went to Knoxville to see my brother-in-law and his family for a few days, and then we went to a little tiny town called Balsam Grove, North Carolina. It sits up near the Pisgah. We did some hiking through the, the mountains for a couple days, which was awesome, and then we came back to um, New Smyrna Beach and spent a couple days surfing and playing in the, in the ocean, so it was like this surf and turf sort of vacation thing. It was awesome, and I'm exhausted, and I'm glad to be back. And when does school start again? We're, yeah, yeah, yeah. We are in week uh, six of our series called I Spy, Discovering God in the Everyday. We've talked about Mitchell's deck. We've talked about Elisa's cat bagel. We've talked about Joe's French press. We've talked about Alex's photo shoot. And we've talked about Hank's painting. Today, we have a different one uh, brought to us by a wonderful lady named Miss Kathleen Nimick. Now, Kathleen Nimick is uh, one of the only people that's doing this that isn't on our staff, technically, but she's this incredible, incredible woman. Um, in fact, she is a doc- has her doctorate in physics, I believe, I think it's physics, so she teaches at a college level. She also teaches here at Circle Christian School, which meets here, teaches uh, science and physics stuff, so she's super smart, super insightful, super wise, just kind of all around awesome. Um, and Kathleen now, for a couple of years... Uh, has we, we had a prayer team a couple years ago, and it kind of has come and gone, and now it's just kind of her. But she shows up here nearly every Sunday morning early. She comes in, she prays over the seats, prays over the building, prays over the worship team, and then she comes and prays over me, and she brings me a breakfast sandwich. 
So she fills my spirit and she fills my belly. Um, Kathleen is, is, is absolutely incredible and uh, has been a huge source of love and support for me for the past couple years. Like every Sunday she's here praying and talking and just the amount of insight that she has has been extremely helpful to me in my life. And so I, when I asked her, I was like, hey, Kathleen, like I would love, we, we, we need one more week of this. I would love if you could like be a part of this. And she was a bit reluctant. And she said, look, I can teach in a classroom, but I don't feel comfortable getting on stage in front of a bunch of people. I'm like, it's the same. She's like, no, but it's on a stage. And I'm like, well, you can talk from the floor. She's like, no. And I said, look, if I can do this, like anybody can do it. It's not that difficult. You just get up. Yeah, hey, amen. Thank you. <laughs> if I could get up and just start talking, like you can do it too. Uh, but it turns out she happened to have a vacation planned on the week that she had to do it. So her and Roman are in uh, California for about three weeks. I'm sure they're watching. Hey, guys, tell California we said hello. Um, so we had to videotape her. All that to say we had to videotape her. So here's Kathleen on her video interview. She'll show her picture, and then she'll talk about what that thing speaks to her about the nature and character of God. Okay, take a look. Why did I pick this picture? It was in the kitchen. Remember, bought this brand new coffee pot um, several years ago. My my uh, son was making fun of the old Mister Coffee we used to have under the counter, um, and complained that the coffee didn't taste right coming out of Mister Coffee. So we said, "It's the coffee pot. What do you want?" So he went and bought this really expensive Cuisinart coffee pot and brought it home. And sure enough, uh, the coffee was really different out of that coffee pot. Don't ask me how. But Roman got real excited and, and thought, oh, this is the coffee pot for me. The coffee pot um, came with a, the new coffee pot came with a glass carafe. Um, and so we took it out of the box and put it on the counter and we're all going, ooh, ah, this is wonderful. Uh, Roman removes the glass coffee pot, puts it aside and brings out the original carafe that he's been using from 30 years ago. This, you know, it's old and it looks old. And he puts it into the coffee coffee pot coffee maker and my uh, grandson comes out and he goes oh well now you've just ruined it it looks terrible and I could it was funny because right at that moment I could hear Christ saying don't put new wine into old wineskins and and I always thought it was just one of those you know things that you say about throwing pearls before swine who knows really what it means but it struck me at that moment maybe because I am old now that's there's a certain amount of complacency that we get. I need to be careful of not becoming the, the old that, um, I don't want to say depreciates, but lessens or taints the new, right? That, that God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, but he's constantly revealing himself in new ways because we as humanity have changed. Right? Our perspective has changed. Um, we're still humans and we have the same faults. But we really need to hear the new to be excited and to, to continue growing and moving. For, for me, for me, the, what it spoke to me was, I, yes, I'm old, but I don't have to be an old wineskin. How's that? Right? That I, that I need to always maintain my heart as a new wine skin that I can actually receive the new wine. Otherwise, as an old old wine skin, I will only have 
the goal, which is what, you know, all the other preachers are preaching the same thing that I've heard since I was 13, right? It's great. The message is great. Um, and I wouldn't diminish that at all because those things are important. They're important for maybe a, someone who, who's an unbeliever who, who doesn't believe. Your messages are, are always for for more than, they are for the unbeliever because to me it makes you hungry for the, for the word, um, but it really is more for us to grow as Christians, to not be stagnant, not be stagnant, to grow, to find something new so that we can go out and speak to a new world. So the, the, new, the new wine, it's still wine, it's still the same grapes, it's just from this year, not from 10 years ago or 20 years ago. The same wine, we can actually, if you go to any winery, they'll tell you that this is the same claret that's been around for 100 years. Um, so the new wine, um, it's going to expand because of the fermentation process. And that's what's gonna rupture the old wine skin. Right? It's not that it's a, the old wine skin is a bad thing, or the old one is bad, um, or the new wine skin, um, it, it of course is more resilient. It, it's, it stretches, it's like leather. Right? Once leather is really old, it's, it's going to crack, but it's fresh leather, it's supple, and you can bend and, and it can flex and stretch. Um, that's all. It's the flexibility of the wineskin that I see as the difference, not the difference in the wine, other than this wine has already gone through the, that fermentation process, so there's more gas bubbles. Hopefully they're, it's going to turn into vinegar is what it'll do, but it, but it won't actually expand. It won't put a stress on the wineskin. Right, so this is why if I go to a, a, a church and it's it's lovely and they sing my old the old hymns um, that I can sing by heart, and I and I hear the message, still a good word, still a good message, right? But it's it's comfortable. It doesn't cause me any discomfort. I agree with it. It's good, um, but I don't believe God wants me to sit and just be comfortable. When I was 18, I was a silly little girl. Um, and by the time I was 30, I was actually quite cynical. It was kind of sad to be 30 and cynical. Um, and, then I, and then I approached 40 and 50, I realized that I no longer needed to be cynical. Right? That God has created everything new. The Spirit is speaking to my heart and it is keeping it soft. Otherwise, I can harden that. I can harden my heart and say, no, no, he doesn't go along with what I'm, what I'm believing. That's just that's just too radical for me. I can't, right? and I can I can I can block that off and keep keep it from being soft. So this is the important. This is the take home message: mm -hmm. to not be a cynical, cranky, unbending human being, but to be open to new revelation always. To keep your heart soft and. You know, I told Roman at one point um, that I can't help grow old, but I can help growing old and bitter, right? I don't want to be that bitter old woman. I want to be that silly woman that wears a purple hat and loves the children and loves to hear what people have to say and um, can relate and to, to live. Yeah, to live life to the fullest until the end. It is what it is but we can have the right attitude. Yeah, yeah.
So I, I love this. I love Kathleen's thoughts about this. I love how her story begins with like, it's just another day. They're getting ready to make coffee. And then something as simple and routine as making your daily coffee, something about this coffee pot reminds her and leads her to this teaching of Jesus, which is about the new wine and the old wineskin, which then leads her to like this reflection of self and where she's at in her life, which leads her to these thoughts about like the nature and character of God, and then back to the reflecting on the self about like where am I at and how do I handle things, and I, she said at the end, I can't help growing old, but I can help growing old and bitter. Like that, that's a lot to process before your coffee gets done. You know what I'm saying? Like, holy smokes, what is... So turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verse 22. Let's look at this passage that she references, and then we'll, we'll talk about this a good bit. Okay, Mark 2, 22. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So... This is a bit straightforward. She kind of references some as well. But just in case you don't know, the way that it used to work back in the day is that they didn't have glass bottles like we have now to make the, put the wine in. They would use these leather pouches. Leather pouches made of things like goat skin or cowhide or whatever. And then when they would pour the new wine into these things, that new leather is supple and flexible like she mentioned. And then that new wine, that new wine will go through the fermentation process and it will release gases so the bag that it's in would have to expand. Leather, over time, if you're familiar with this, will, if it's not taken care of, will begin to get a bit stiff or harden or get a bit brittle. So if you cannot put uh, this new wine that requires this space for expansion into the old wineskin, which has become hardened or brittle in some way because it won't allow for it to expand, which means that the wineskin will eventually burst, which of course means you will ruin not only the wineskin, but you will also Wastes the wine, which of course is a major party foul. So sometimes this passage gets used to talk about like how Jesus has shown up onto the scene, and with the with the presence of Jesus, we're now doing away with the old system. That what he was doing was so radically different that the system that was in place could not contain it. Right. So essentially, the idea becomes Judaism bad, Christianity good. That's where we move on from. Right? The thing he's doing is so new. The system, the temple system in Old Covenant is the old wineskin. Jesus is the new wine. It cannot contain it. Right? So what he's doing won't fit into that container. But there's a little more to it than that. Okay? So let's look at this like, whole passage that that verse sits within, and we'll see kind of like what's happening with it. Okay? So let's start in Mark 18. This is the, like, the whole context in which that passage sits. Now John and his disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskin, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So Jesus is bringing this, like, 
radical new thing at this time called the kingdom of God. And people are struggling to like understand it. Like, well, how does this fit into what we're doing? And so what we see here is that he gives these three in this passage, he gives three different images and they all tell a little bit of a different story. But when you line them up, they actually paints like a pretty good picture. And so what I want to do today is go through these three things, but I don't want to go through like in the normal order. I want to do something a little bit different. Today, I want us to go in reverse order. So we're going to start at the end of the passage and work our way back up, okay? And hopefully by doing this, you'll see a few things that you might not have seen otherwise. So Jesus ends this discussion in verse 22, talking about the new wine and the old wineskins. Um, what he, like we just talked about, what he's doing cannot fit into the system or their way of thinking. So they're going to have to learn to think differently. They're going to have to like uh, rethink or unthink some of their long-held beliefs and traditions and understandings about who God is and how God works. They have to be willing or able to rethink a few things in order to accept the new wine. Right now, this is a big thing. This is a challenging thing, isn't it? Anytime there's something new introduced into our lives, it can be a bit challenging. To rethink a long-held belief system or, or, or ideas about who God is and what God is like can be very difficult. Maybe you've experienced this, right? You were handed a particular way to think of and understand and know about God. You were handed this system and way of thinking. And then one day you may have been exposed to a new kind of thought or a different way of thinking. And then it starts to mess with your brain a little bit. Maybe it makes you a bit uncomfortable. Maybe it feels like you've had like, uh, like you're standing in like quicksand or something. You're not quite sure what to do with it because new ideas can be challenging. They can be difficult. They can be a bit alarming. They can make you a bit uncomfortable. Even beyond like church and God stuff, new things can make you a bit uncomfortable. When it comes to like generational stuff, right, you get to a certain point in your life and you're like, I'm, I'm pretty much good. Do you know, like I don't really need... I don't need anything new. I don't, I don't care, right? It's like my kids already, I sense this in myself with my kids and technology. They're doing all this stuff. They're like five, six, seven, whatever, however old they are, however many there are. They do all this technology stuff. I can't keep up with them. I can't keep up with it. It's just too much. I'm like, I don't, I'll just send you an email. Does that work? Like, I don't need, it's just too much. This is the same reason why, why old guys keep buying the same shoes, right? Why, why we buy the same, why we I'm old. I'm getting it. I'm starting to understand it is what I'm saying. I get it. I'm getting to the age where I understand why you keep buying the same white pair of shoes. No offense to the old guys with the white shoes. I get it. I'm understanding it. Look, I found something that works. I like it. Leave me alone. Right? It's just easier that way. New stuff can be challenging, maybe even threatening. New ideas, new ways of thinking. And if we're honest with ourselves at times, it can be a bit scary, especially when it comes to thoughts about God. Because I've spent a lot of time putting these beliefs together. I've spent a lot of time formulating this stuff. And if I'm actually open to something new, it may begin to unravel this way of thinking that I've invested a lot of time and effort into creating. Which is why Jesus says, an old wineskin, a wineskin that has lost its flexibility, that has lost its expandability, elastability, won't be able to hold the new wine. 
Now, let's back up to verse 21. We see Jesus giving a, 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 an image, a different, a different image and a different perspective on the new versus the old uh, concerning the old garment. Mark 2.21, we're working backwards. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Okay, again, a very simple illustration. You can't put a new patch on an old garment because it won't work. The new cloth, as it begins to weather, will eventually begin to shrink and pull, which means that the hole that you're trying to mend will actually become worse because of that process, right? So, by the way, I love the, I love the fact that this series is called, like, I Spy, Discovering God in the Everyday, and we're looking at a passage today in which Jesus is using, like, the most simplest, basic, ordinary things to, te to teach this, like, profound truth. He's talking about, like, old wine bottles and Goodwill clothes, right? Like, it's awesome. It's brilliant. He's, he's so brilliant at this stuff. So this falls in line with, like, our whole series anyways. So this picture of the new garment on the old patch, this image doesn't work the same way as the new wine in the old wineskins. It works a bit differently. If, if this image is taken by itself, it almost would suggest the opposite, that what is new is bad, in the old one, it's, in the wine, it's the old wine skin that's bad because it can't hold the new wine, right? That's the, that's the general thinking. In this one, it's the new is bad because the new rips the old, which means that the old is good. <laughs> well, wait, how can it be? Well, wh what if it's not like about which is better, new versus old? What if it's more like, his point is kind of like this idea that like um, the new and the old don't necessarily mix super easily, and don't be surprised when you try to do these things if you might have some unfortunate results. The new wine can burst the old wineskin and waste the wine. The new patch on the old garment can tear the patch, tear the hole in the old garment and make it larger. Maybe there's, maybe just not just about what's new and old versus good versus bad. Okay, let's back up again. <clears throat> Verse 19 and 20. This is the first image Jesus gives. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So Jesus is answering this question, and his response is this first image. And the first image of the three images has to do with this wedding feast and wedding reception. Okay, this of course takes us back again to the beginning of the thing with the question that Jesus is answering, which he says... Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered. And then he goes on. So the catalyst for this whole discussion, for this whole thing, is a question about fasting. It's a question about maintaining, following the law. And Jesus' first picture, his first response is that he compares his presence and his ministry to this wedding feast in which he is the groom. Have you been to any weddings recently? What was the reception like? Was it a bunch of people sitting around not eating? Was it like an old church service where you were bored and falling asleep? Was it, or was it something else? 
right? I went to a couple we weddings just recently, uh, one a couple months ago where I just got to show up and be and participate in the whole thing. And then I was blessed uh, a couple weeks ago to, to, per to officiate a wedding for uh, Skylar and Jacob Lodes. They're here today. Jacob's the one that plays, uh, yeah, congratulations. I think they're still married too, so it's working. So I'm like, you know, high five Seth, good job. Um, he was the one that plays keyboards up here. So I, I go to these two different weddings in the past couple months, and here's the thing. Both weddings were extremely different. Both wedding parties were extremely different. Both wedding receptions were extremely different. All, all things about the two different weddings were vastly different from one another. But even in their differences, when it came to the wedding reception, there was a shared commonality. And the shared commonality of the different, vastly different wedding receptions was that it was a celebration. There was music, there was dancing, there was people with food and drink, there was enough food and drink for everyone, no one was left wanting, there was laughter and there was joy and there was hugs and there was tears and there was crying and there was life and there's this beautiful thing that happens when two people come together as one. When these two separate entities join together to become this new thing. It's this new life. It's this beautiful coming together. And I think this is one of the reasons that we love weddings and stuff. Because this wedding is giving birth to this new life that is this new relationship. And we love to celebrate new life. There's something beautiful about this. We're drawn to it. We want to celebrate that. So the wedding feast the wedding reception is how we participate in the new thing that has now come into being, where the bride and groom are now together as one. It's this new thing, and we want to party. Because new life should always be a celebration. You don't go to a wedding reception and not eat. You don't go to the wedding reception and, like, fast. Uh, can't, sorry. You, you cannot eat tomorrow. Right? When the bride and groom are gone, you cannot eat all you want tomorrow. Jesus compares his presence and his ministry to the groom at the wedding reception as a way to explain why his disciples are not fasting. He's like, yo, I'm, I'm here. The party's happening now. That's what they're up to. They can fast when I'm gone. So the image of the wedding and the wedding reception is used several times in the New Testament as a way to talk about the coming of God's kingdom. It's used as a way to talk about the world that God will eventually make. It's, and it's this connection between, the, the connection between the two, between the kingdom and, and the wedding, is this idea that there would be abundance, that there would be life, that there would be celebration at the union of heaven and earth when the two become one. So what you also have to keep in mind is that in the Jewish thought, uh, there was this idea, they used the wedding image as a way to talk about Israel and God. In their understanding, God was the bride, or Israel was the bride of God, and although Israel may have been a bit unfaithful a few times, or she may have turned her back a few times, that eventually she would come home and be reconciled in her relationship uh, with God. So the wedding for the Jewish people had to do with the, the, the marriage between God and Israel. So when Jesus shows up and he starts to liken his ministry and his presence to being the groom at a wedding reception, this would have begun to like, sort of been like red flags for the people. This would have been a bit concerning, maybe even a bit uncomfortable. The image of the wedding was supposed to be about Israel and God, and Jesus is using this to make a statement. He makes a statement 
that would have been like some new wine in the old wineskins. When he makes this statement, it's going to cause problems because he's messing with how they know and understand God. And what I've learned, it's not a good idea to mess with how people think about God. Right? And again, what you have to remember, what, what you have to remember about the, Jew, the Jewish mindset too is that when it came to something like fasting, which was super important, fasting was usually uh, specified for times of like uh, remembering, remembering the destruction, remembering the trials, remembering the hardship. It was about looking back. And so the presence of Jesus now in this moment, the presence of Jesus is the presence of God showing up in the neighborhood. The presence of Jesus is God dwelling amongst his people. The, 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 the presence of Jesus then becomes a time of looking forward, looking forward to the incredible things that God was starting to do rather than looking back at what he had done and how Israel had been punished for her failures. So Jesus takes this question that's asked of him and his disciples about not fasting, and he turns it into this much larger, much deeper discussion about whether or not we will be open and flexible enough to participate in the new thing that God is up to. About what kind of people are you going to be? Are we going to be people, people that are looking back to what God did, or are we going to be looking forward into what God will do? And then how do we respond to that? So let's take a second and talk about church, and then let's take a second and talk about you. Uh, when it comes to church, is tradition good or bad? <laughs> yes. You're right. The answer is yes, both. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's a lot of good in tradition and ritual, obviously. There's a lot of value and merit there. That there's some good things that we should be holding on to, some things that we've let go of that we should probably bring back. If you go back through like church history, there's a lot of really good old practices that we could learn a lot from and find value in. In fact, I saw a, a report not too long ago about how uh, a lot of kids, uh, like the younger generations, are actually gravitating towards more traditional type churches, like more of a high church element, because they're, they're finding comfort in the liturgy and the ritual and, and, and finding uh, like uh, peace, something, in, in, the old, in the ancient prayers and the ancient psalms and those type of readings and things. Like there's good there, there's power there, there's enlightenment in those things. But I would also suggest that any tradition that binds us or blinds us or keeps us from seeing the new thing that God is up to, then it's maybe not such a good thing. Did you notice, by the way, that Jesus didn't reject the, the fasting? He doesn't reject the fasting. He says, they'll fast when I'm gone. The groom is here now. God is up to this new thing through Jesus now, and it's time to party now. That's what we're doing. You see, for many churches, we look at the new thing that Jesus did back then, and we say, look at how everything's different, how everything changed because of him, and yes, that's awesome, and we're grateful for that, but the new thing that he did back then has very quickly become this, like, tradition, and then what happens is churches end up being a bit like the Jewish people, <laughs> asking the question, why aren't they fasting now? We end up 
taking switching roles with them. You see, and what happens is when the church starts to elevate or worship the tradition rather than the one the tradition is based on, it becomes a problem. Or when we elevate the tradition over the thing that God is doing in the here and now, then we become the Jewish people asking the question about fasting, that we're more concerned with upholding what was than trying to see the new thing that God is doing now. Churches have a tendency to be a, uh, to be a bit like feeding children. You, you ever raise kids and you know when they're in that like younger stages and they decide there's only like one thing they like to eat? I like the butter noodles. That's all they're going to eat. And you can't convince them otherwise. No matter how much you try to tell them, no, you should try this other thing. If you just put some of the stuff on the butter noodles, you would like it. It's actually really good. No. And they turn their nose up at it. They don't want anything to do with it because it's not what they like. Uh, it's like our daughter, Ella. And she, she used to hate tomatoes, right? When she was younger, she hated tomatoes. And my wife would be at her all the time. You should try the tomatoes. Ella, you'll like it. You got to be open to new things. And she wouldn't try it. She wouldn't try it. Finally, she tried it. Now she loves them. It's one of her favorite things. She will walk out to her garden and just eat tomatoes. Like, she will, she will pick her own tomatoes, put them in her lunchbox, and take them to school for a snack. That's how much she loves tomatoes. And so now we're like, you want some zucchini? Right? And, and she's like, no, I don't want zucchini. Why would I want zucchini? Like, I'm not sure about the zucchini. We're like, yeah, but remember, you didn't like the tomatoes at one time either. But now you should. Right? And it's not that the tomatoes are bad. It's not that we want her to give up tomatoes. It's just that. We want to expand her palate. We want her to try something new. We want her to have other healthy vegetables. We want her to get other vitamins and nutrients into her body, right? But what if she came to me and was like, Dad, you know what? I appreciate all you're doing, and I see what you're trying to do, but I'm good. I'm just going to, I've decided I'm just going to eat tomatoes for the rest of my life. I, <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, like, I don't know if your body can live forever on tomatoes only. I don't know if that's a thing. But also, like, that's, that's crazy. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, no, that's stupid. You're not going to do that. Eat some zucchini. Right? But if she wanted to only eat that, like, it, it seems strange. It seems odd. But yet, when it comes to many churches, this is the way we operate when it comes to our relationship with God and how we think of God, right? That, that the mentality of many churches is that they elevate the tradition over the accepting of the new thing that God is up to in the world. This is the mentality of the people that are asking Jesus about why aren't your people fasting? Why aren't they doing the thing? Why aren't they participating at the tradition? And if we're not careful, then that can also become us. Are, are we becoming the ones who are trying to fast at the wedding feast? By the way, I don't think Jesus came to ever establish a religion. I don't think he came to establish a religion. I think he came to establish communities of people that live in a way together that they bring heaven to earth in the here and now. I think he came to establish communities of people who will live in a way in which they are continually looking for the thing that God is up to in the here and now. For people who want to keep the party going. Now let's talk about you. This is basically the same discussion, just a little bit more personal, as we had about church. At some point you came to understand God and the Bible a particular way. And when you first experienced this, there was probably a lot of excitement involved. It was this new, fresh, vibrant thing. But over time, what happens is that the thoughts and ideas that you were handed, they began to, like, set. 
right? It's like concrete. If you've ever poured concrete, you take this concrete mixed powder, you pour some water into it, and you have this like kind of fluid, kind of solid, kind of liquidy thing, but you can pour it, and you can shape it, and you can mold it, and you can frame it into whatever it is that you want it to be. But over time, that concrete will begin to harden. And once that concrete sets, it is what it is, right? It's whatever you made it to be at that point. Some people have come to a way of thinking about God, and it just is what it is. That belief or that belief system has hardened, and nothing's going to change that. You may know some folks like this. You, you may be some folks like this. My guess is if you're here, though, you're, you're doing all right. <laughs> Here's the thing. If you remember, we talked two weeks ago about, like, all the different ways God shows up. Like, God's a bit wild. God's a bit unpredictable. So how is it that we would pursue a faith that is set and hardened like concrete and unmoldable and unshapeable when what we see from God is unpredictable? Right? If you think back to the story of Moses, we talked about two weeks ago. Um, it's a Tuesday. Moses is tending his flock in the desert. God shows up, talking firebush, gives him a message, gives him a mission. Here's what you're going to do. Sends him on the mission. This is how he comes to know God. This is like the main experience that he has, that he knows, like, this is who God is to me. This is what my life is supposed to be about. This is the direction I'm heading. And then what you see is just a couple chapters later, God shows up in an entirely different way. They get to Mount Sinai, and God is calling to him from the mountaintop, and God is in, this, in, in the thunder and the lightning and the fire. And if you remember, we talked about the thick darkness. The thick darkness calls Moses up to the mountain. This is an entirely different experience of the very same God that he met in the desert. Same God, whole new experience, whole new thing to navigate, whole new thing to try to process and comprehend. I can't help but think that if Moses were like many modern Christians, the way they operated the way that, that, that we do, he would have heard the voice, went up to the mountain, saw the thick darkness, and turned and ran away from God. He would have saw this new thing and said, no, 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 that's not how I know and understand what God is like. That's not God. I was introduced to God as a talking firebush. God can only be in the desert. God can only show up in the flame. God can only be on that particular kind of tree. The God who calls him to the mountain is the same God who called him in the desert. The God of the thick darkness is the same God that is the talking firebush. Same God, different form, different mission, different experience. And I'm sure Moses was a bit nervous, maybe even a bit uncomfortable. Everything about that moment was about change. In the desert, God was talking firebush, and he had a mission to go and rescue the people. And now, God is this thick darkness on top of a mountain and now the mission is changing and now you don't just want me to rescue the people you want me to lead the people like that's not where I thought this whole thing was going same God shows up in entirely different ways and who changes the mission and yet for some reason 
many of us live with this mentality or this perception that if God doesn't show up the way that I know how to recognize him, then whatever that new thing is, isn't God. How much would Moses have missed out on if he had had this limited, had limited, him, had limited his understanding of God to that one particular tree in that particular desert that was on fire and talking? No, I can't go up to the mountain. That's not God. I can't listen to that voice. The one true voice is calling from a tree. The one true God is back in the desert in Midian where I first met him. So that thick darkness can't possibly be him. Is it possible that when it comes to our faith, to our relationship with God, that many of us are clinging to a tree and we're missing out on the God that's calling to us from the mountain. Yeah, but that's different. That's not how I've known God. That's not how I met God at first. That's not what my preacher at my home church told me 35 years ago. You okay? Moses' heart and mind and perception of God was pliable. It was elastic enough and open enough and flexible enough to allow God to be God and to be able to discover God however God shows up, wherever he shows up, in whatever form he shows up in. You see, your spiritual growth and growing deeper in your relationship with God can only happen when there is a flexibility of heart and mind and perception. Now, for many people, when you hear the word flexibility in a talk about God, it might make you a bit uncomfortable. Oh, no, we can't have flexibility. I'm not talking about a flexibility of God. I'm not talking about a flexibility of truth. I'm talking about a flexibility of you, a flexibility of the self. God will be God I'm talking about a flexibility of the self and that you will be open to seeing God, how God shows up. In the story of God, in the story of Moses, it's the same God in the tree as it is on the mountain. But it's an entirely different experience for how Moses sees him. And I'm sure... It was difficult. And if Moses isn't able to be flexible, if he's not able to be open to this reality, then he's going to miss out on the thing that God was doing right in front of him. Yes, it might have been uncomfortable. Sure, going up to the mountain was not how he knew God up to that point. Sure, he could have stayed by the tree and formed a great tradition about how the tree works and all the things that you have to do and you have to take off your shoes and say the right things and But God was calling him to more. This was the new wine. And the question was, would he be flexible enough to receive it? I love what Kathleen said. She said, um, you can go listen to other messages and the, that she's heard all her life, and they're good, and they're nice, and they're comfortable, and they're important. And, but she said, I want to be open to a new revelation. She's making the decision to be flexible. 
She's making the decision to try to hear God calling from the mountain. She's, she, she's discovering the same God in new and different sorts of ways. She's making the decision to be at the wedding reception. And she's eating and she's drinking and she's laughing and she's celebrating the new thing that God is up to or that he will be up to. It's a decision to participate in the celebration. It's a decision to look to God in everything. You may have to do some rethinking you may have to like undo some thinking. You may have to reshape some of your thoughts and understanding of God in order to do this, but it's in the stretching. It's in the stretching and the expansion that the growth actually comes. It's in the stretching that the new wine can be accommodated. It's in this flexibility that she says, I don't, I, I don't want to be the bitter old lady. I want to be the old lady wearing the purple hat, talking to the kids listening to people and what they have to say. I want to live life to the fullest, to the very end. So maybe the question for us is, are we willing to let God be God? Are we willing to be able to be flexible enough to accept God however he shows up? Are you willing to challenge the tradition or the image and understanding of God that you were handed for the sake of experiencing the new wine, for the sake of experiencing the same God in a new way, or are you more concerned with elevating the tradition over the new thing God is doing in front of you? Or are you more concerned with elevating your finite ability to understand an infinite God over the thing that he's up to rather than being open to the one who's calling from the mountain who's calling in some new unexpected way who's calling you to something more i can tell you that one way will be really comfortable and it will be really easy and it will be good and it will be fine but the other way it's going to be a bit more challenging and it may be a bit frustrating. And it may cause you to feel like you're standing on quicksand or like there's some sort of earthquake and you can't find your footing. And it may make you uncomfortable and it may make you uneasy. And it may, but I can tell you that in that way, there's excitement and there is new life and there is new depth of understanding. And there is this thing that you can't, you can't put words to it. Yes, it's uncomfortable, but what do you miss by not going up to the mountain? You'll never know. He's calling, calling to more, calling to more. Will you be open to seeing? Will you be flexible enough to receive? Will you be... My hope and my prayer for you is that you will learn to be open to the unchanging yet unpredictable God. My hope and my prayer for you is that you will learn to be flexible enough to accommodate the new wine, the new thing that God is doing, regardless of the shape and form that it takes. My hope and my prayer for you is that you will learn to embrace and participate in the celebration of the wedding reception so that when God is doing a new thing, you will join the party. We're going to go into our time of communion. 
a time where we get to celebrate something else, a time where we get to celebrate the one who has come to initiate the party, the one who has set us free so the party can continue, the one who has offered us new life, who has offered us freedom and grace and forgiveness. We're going to have uh, our ushers pass the communion trays where we have the bread and the juice. This represents the body and the blood of Jesus. We ask that you take those, that you remember, that you reflect, that you remember the sacrifice that Jesus has made, that you remember that through him there is new life, that you remember that through him you are always loved. This is the expression of God's love for us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment.